Man. You guys are unbelievable. <laughs> We're going to continue in our series on uh, kings, and uh, George is going to be sharing today. Let's give it up for George. <laughs> I will be respectful. <laughs> I, won't, I won't say anything, although all these options came up, but I... Uh, I don't want to blow my witness uh, before I even get started. But as Danny was saying, um, we've, been going, we've been in this series called The Kings, and uh, this morning we're going to look at a guy named uh, Asa, King Asa, and he is number four from King David. And uh, you can find uh, his story, his life story, it's, it's both in 1 Kings and in 2 Chronicles, and 1 Kings is like the Reader's Digest condensed Version, and then we're going to be looking at Asa's life in Second Chronicles. And if you remember when I kicked this series off, do you remember when I said that uh, one of the things I was really excited about uh, for this series was that as we look at these kings, as we look at their lives, that we it'll be like it, it will have the opportunity to stand in front of the front of the mirror of God's word. Do you remember I said that? Okay, three of you remember that. That's always encouraging, but. Uh, but that we would be able to stand in front of the mirror of God's word, but we wouldn't stand alone. We would stand with the Lord, and he'd be able to sort of look, you know, look in the mirror and look at our lives and say this, this is what I'm working on, or this is, you know, this is the area that I want, I want you to open up to me, or whatever it is, just continuing the work he's doing in our lives. And, and as we look at the life of Asa, as we look into the, the, you know, the mirror, if you will, of, of his will, the theme of Asa's life is this question, and it's in your notes in the introduction. It's this question of who do you rely on? Who do you rely on? Right? In the, in the good times, but especially in the hard times, who do you rely on? And wouldn't you agree that, and we really see this, and we will see this in Asa's life, but God uses especially the hard times, the struggles, he uses them to expose what we do rely on. Uh, listen to this quote. It says, We can ignore even pleasure, but pain insists upon being attended to. <clears throat> God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Isn't that a great quote? C.S. Lewis, of course it's great. But... Uh, when I talk about struggles, I'm, what I'm not saying is whatever struggle you're facing in your life right now or if you think back on your life at struggles that you've had, I'm not saying that <clears throat> those were all God's plan for your life, right? Because part of the reason we have struggles uh, in our lives, one is we live in a broken, sinful wor world where we hurt each other. Two is uh, we have an enemy. The Bible says we have a very real enemy who is out to destroy us. And then three, we have a lot of struggles in our lives because of the choices we make. We bring a lot of it on ourselves. So I'm not saying that they're all from God, but I am saying this. Uh, every struggle that we face is an opportunity for two things. It's an opportunity for us to discover, what do I rely on? Where do I run when times get hard? It's also a time to discover or, or an opportunity to learn how to rely more on God in those hard times and you know <clears throat> I don't think it's at all a, co a coincidence uh, that I'm you know that I got Asa and that I'm doing the message and that the theme of it is you know who do you rely on right now and I won't go into details but right now in our family we're going through a struggle and and 
uh, I don't know about you, I, I, I thought I would have learned this by now, but when it comes to relationships, especially in a family unit, uh, close relationships, uh, there are just no quick fixes. And as I go through this struggle and, and, and I'm, you know, my, the things I rely on are, are being brought front and center, I realize there's something in me that just goes, as long as it's legal, just give me something. Just do, you know, let's just figure out something that will ease the struggle, because I don't like this, right? Or just, just do something that'll fix the problem. And here's the thing, in the midst of this struggle, uh, in the midst of the questions, etc., in the midst of the, the different options, well, we could do this, or maybe we should try that, or maybe, you know, on and on and on. <clears throat> in the midst of the struggle, the constant presence has been Jesus it really has, standing right in the middle of it and literally like holding out his hand, saying, Michael, will you trust me in this struggle? Right, because this may be a long road, right? Why don't we walk it together, right? Rely on him. And the thing that I've discovered in this season is uh, uh, the only thing that's given me peace in my heart has been handing over the fears, handing over the questions, handing over the anger about certain situations, and then choosing to rely on him. Okay, you've got it, but please do something really quickly, right? That's, that's how I, but uh, here's what I'm convinced of today. As I look out at you, here's, here's what I'm convinced of. One, here's a newsflash for you. Life is hard, right? This just in. Life is hard. Here's something else I know today. Uh, there are people in this room that you are facing struggles. And it could be on a, just a, a spectrum of, 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 of reasons why. But you're facing struggles that are overwhelming you. And there's people in this room that you will soon be facing struggles that will totally overwhelm you. And what we're going to see today as we look at the life of Asa, we're going to focus in on two things. One is we're going to look at what relying on God looks like. What does it look like? And then number two, we're going to look at some practical, uh, some practical ways that we can learn to grow more in this area of relying on God. So let's pray, and then we'll jump into 2 Chronicles. So Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you for uh, each one that's here. Lord, I thank you for uh, just the truth that you see everything right now. You know what we're thinking right now. You know what we're feeling. You know what's distracting us right now. And I pray, God, that you would uh, just put your arms around us all and just pull us in close to you this morning. I pray that uh, you would uh, just continue the work you're doing in our lives. I pray that your presence would be so real that it would be like your arm is around our shoulder and you're whispering, okay, that, that was for you. You need to grab onto that. Or just come and uh, lead us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so like I said, Second Chronicles, if you want to turn there, chapter 14, uh, will be, really we're going to jump through three chapters. Uh, today I should be done right around noon. <laughs> pastor, pastor humor. But Second uh, Chronicles 14, and I'm not going to read every verse, <laughs> otherwise we would be here till noon. But uh, number one in your notes is this. It's a picture of reliance on God. A picture of reliance on God. And we look at the life of Asa. This guy, this new king, uh, gets off to a great start. 
And uh, uh, you can read it later, but really what happens in chapter 14 is, is he takes over as king. He just takes off on all this religious reform, right? He starts, uh, you know, getting rid of all these foreign uh, altars, these sacred stones, and all these, all these articles of pagan worship. He just starts removing it and taking it out of the land of, of Judah. And, and the thing that jumped out at me right away, again, in this, in, in this uh, theme of relying on God, the first thing that jumped out at me was... That is, he was doing all this reform and he was removing all these, you know, idols and all these things of pagan worship. It didn't stop at just the removing. And here's what I mean. So 2 Chronicles 14.4 says this. It says, he, in Asa, he commanded Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their ancestors, and to obey his laws and his commands. We'll stop there. Here's what, I, what I'm getting at in this. Relying on God... When you enter into a relationship with God, it's not just a relationship where he says, you know, you need to get rid of this and you need to stop doing that, right? The reforms that we see. When you enter into a relationship with God, it is, okay, we're gonna probably get rid of some things, but now I also want you to add some things to your life, right? That's a picture of, of relying on God. As you get rid of these things, and this is what we see with Asa, he's commanding the people, like, yeah, we're gonna get all this, this bad stuff out of, the, out of Judah, but what I want you to do now is add to your life, seeking God, you know, obeying his commands, etc. Stop doing this and start doing that. And here's where I'm going with this. Wouldn't you agree that if, if you ask someone on the street, hey, define what a Christian is, right? Define what a Christian is. Here's, I think they would say a lot of things. They'd probably say some things I couldn't say from the pulpit. But uh, I think one of the things that they would say in defining a Christian is they would define us by what we're against, they would define us by what we don't do. Does that make sense? And here's the thing. When, when, you know, here, here's some real wisdom to live by. We don't drink, we don't chew, we don't run with girls who do. Right? That's some deep, like you got to write that down because that may be what's been missing in your life. Right? Okay, that hit a note. Boy, I'm going to say that. I'm just going to keep saying that. That's awesome. There's some deep theology. I didn't mean to go so deep. But when God says no and read the Bible, God says no to a lot of things. But he says it because he loves us. Because he knows, no, don't do that because that will hurt you. Don't go down there because that isn't going to satisfy you. So again, with this picture of relying on God, when you say yes to Jesus, he will ask you to, to let go of some things, to get rid of some things. So just think of it, just practically, if you say yes to following Jesus and you're following him, you're gonna have to walk away from something or someone in order to follow Jesus. But he doesn't just say, now let's get rid of all those bad things. He says, now, as you do that, add to your life, right? Start adding things. He, he'll ask us to put, you know, it really, it's, it's give, me, give me that and I'll give you this, right? There's that exchange that goes on. And really, that, there's a great word of, of what, what, you know, what that is, and it's called sanctification. That when you say yes to Jesus, you've entered into a lifelong process of being changed, of being changed to, to be more the person he intended you to be, to be uh, uh, more like Jesus. So Jesus didn't just come to say no, he also came to say yes. And again, this picture of, of, of what does reliance look like, it's letting go of the old and taking hold of the new. So let's move on. All this great reform is going on, and then in verse 9, a major struggle comes their way. So 14, chapter 14, verse 9 says this. 
It says, uh, Zerah the Cushite marched out against them with an army of thousands upon thousands and 300 chariots and came as far as Marisha. Asa went out to meet him and they took up battle positions in the valley of Zephathah near Marisha. Then Asa called to the Lord his God and said, Lord, there is no one like you to help the powerless against the mighty. Help us, Lord our God, for we rely on you. And in your name we have come against this vast army. Lord, you are our God. Do not let mere mortals prevail against you. And how does God respond? Verse 12, the Lord struck down the Cushites before Asa and Judah. So again, in number one in your notes is, you know, what does reliance, uh, you know, a picture of reliance on God. And in his prayer, in this prayer that, that Asa prays, he models what reliance on God looks like. I mean, he's... Could you imagine, he's looking across the field at this massive army, right? It would have been like, most of the commentaries say, we're talking like a million soldiers coming his way, and it says 300 chariots, and in their day, that would be like 300 tanks, right? They would give them such, like totally the upper hand, and he's looking across the field at this impossible situation, and what does he do? Again, here's a great picture of reliance on God. The first thing he does, well, the first thing he does is like, uh uh-oh, The second thing he does right away is he turns to God. And he starts by defining, he starts by by sort of, you know, getting everything in order. God, you're the greatest. That's basically what he says. You're the greatest. And then he's, you know, he's honest with God. Then he's honest about himself. And he says, and we're powerless. So we're going to rely on you. He models dependence or reliance on God. And so just think of the struggle that you're facing right now in your life. Right? You may be looking across the field at addiction. It may be in your life uh, or in the life of someone you love. And you're looking at it and it's like, oh no, we just can't whip this. It just seems to always get the upper hand. You may be looking across the field at bankruptcy or you know, unemployment or uh, uh, a broken relationship and you, just, you're just, you realize you're powerless I am powerless to do anything in this situation. Or, you know, maybe it's sickness, cancer. I mean, aren't you sick of cancer? It's like a bully just walking around punching anyone in the face that he wants to. It just seems that way. But it's just, it's like this, you know, massive enemy coming against you. And like Asa, what does our reliance look like? To rely on God in those situations, it's it's really to follow his example. It's one of the things that I love about God. It's, it's by just being honest. And really, the word Rebecca had this morning, I'm like, we couldn't have planned it any better. It's just being honest with God that I don't know what to do. This is totally overwhelming. And, and, and uh, here's why I, I focus on this. I don't know where or how this sort of got into our belief as Christians, but I, I, I see it in my own life. I hear it in people's prayers and in conversation. But there's this thing that's kind of worked its way in that as a Christian, if you are honest or if you confess weakness or fear or unbelief, well, brother or sister, you lack faith. And if you really had faith, you wouldn't feel that way. I mean, have you heard, have you heard that before or have you experienced that? Well, no, that's not a lack of faith. That's being a human being. You would not be a human being if you weren't overwhelmed in those situations. And you're part of this reliance process. 
is, is being honest. And it's like, it, you know, and it's not for God's sake. Like, hey, uh, God, I just want to let you know I'm really overwhelmed. And God's like, what? You look so calm on the outside. I just, you know, your Facebook post, you look like you're just on top of the world. Right? It's like, he, it's not for him. It's for us. It's for us. And I don't mean, and I don't mean just getting it out on, on Facebook. Or it's, it's being honest with him. It's making an exchange with him. It's sitting in the presence of God and just saying, here's where it hurts. Here's what's going on. And, you know, I, I know today, and uh, as I look out at all of you, that there are people here today that you are really a lot like what Rebecca was saying. You are just knotted up inside. You're knotted up with anxiety. You are like, there's so much pressure in you, and some of you are physically sick. You're not sleeping at night. I mean, you're, because of this burden that you're carrying, and you need to get it out. You need to just be honest with the Lord about, about what's going on in your life. And, you know, and I don't know about you, but uh, um, for me, I don't know what it is about 3 a.m. in the morning, but I don't know how many times I wake up at 3 a.m.-ish in the morning, like, oh, <laughs> I sort of wake up, like, overwhelmed with anxiety about something, guilt about something in the past, and it just feels like a rock on my chest. But you know what I've found? That, that in some of those hardest times, I've discovered some of the sweetest times with the Lord. Where, where you know, I'm, I'm sort of looking across the field at this, whatever it is, this issue or this mistake that I've made or whatever it is. And, and I don't know about you, but there's something about in the wee hours of the morning when I'm overwhelmed, I just feel like a little boy. And, and it's so awesome to be able to sit with your father and just look at him. And he looks at you and he says, so where does it hurt? And you go, here. It hurts here, father. Because I'm looking at this and I think it's going to turn into that. And that's so scary for me. There's something so freeing about being honest, relying on God, being able to say, and, like, and just saying what he already knows anyways. But to get it off our chest. And you know, when I'm done talking, we're going to have a time to pray. And I, I just know for some of you, what you need to do today is you need to come, come to the Lord. And just with a brother or sister putting an arm around your shoulder, just say, here's what I'm afraid of. Here's what's keeping me up at night. And just make that exchange. So we have uh, Asa and his army. They're relying on God. And in the story, he, uh, God whoops on their enemy. And then... Uh, after the great victory, you know, Asa and the army, they're returning to Jerusalem and, you know, the trumpets are playing and they're coming back and, and God stirs the heart of a prophet uh, named Azariah. And we're going to jump to chapter 15 now. Chapter 15, verse 2 says this. So God stirs this prophet up and he comes out to meet Asa and the army and he says this. He went out to meet, he being Azariah, he went out to meet Asa and said to him, listen to me. Asa and all Judah and Benjamin, the Lord is with you when you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Now, doesn't that seem like a strange thing to say to a king and an army that are coming back from, a, from a, just an awesome victory? Right? Like, don't you think that as, you know, here comes the, the, the people are all celebrating the victory they've just won. And don't you think that if God stirred up a prophet, it would have been something like, 
oh, you know, great Asa, hear the word of the Lord today that, you know, way to go, my son. You know, you relied on me and you trusted me in this. And you'd think it would have been more of, a, more of an attaboy. But what we see in the story is it's, 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 Asa, you just had an awesome victory. Now be careful. It's a warning, right? The prophet warns him. And, and I think part of the reason why he's warning him is, is he's basic, basically saying to Asa, don't forget our national history as God's people. Don't forget how incredibly fickle we are as a people. Where on Monday, we're like, oh God, we love you. We're gonna serve you. And by Wednesday, we're off sacrificing the who knows what, right? I mean, there's just the, the fickleness of their history. I think that was part of it. But then I also think in the warning for Asa, it was because there was, God knew there was something in Asa's heart. There was something broken or needy in this man's heart that was dangerous. And that brings us to number two, which is the dangers of success. And again, after this great uh, victory and the warning from Azariah, we see in really most of chapter 15, is you see this king in response to the warning, he just takes off on more religious reform. And again, I'm not going to read it all, but he is just going to town. And remember, you know, earlier on I read how here's King Asa commanding the people, exhorting the people, look, let's get rid of all this, you know, pagan worship, and I'm commanding you to seek God and obey him. I mean, that was really great. But look at how far it's gone now. Uh, chapter 15, verse 13. Things have changed a bit. Verse 13, all who would not seek the Lord, the God of Israel, were to be put to death whether small or great, man or woman. And it's like, Asa, what's going on? I mean, we want to have a church filled with passionate disciples, but we're not going to start, you know, shooting people because they don't raise their hands, right? I mean, and it's like, it's like, what's going on in his heart? What's driving him? And if you read through chapter 15, again, it's just more and more reform. He even goes after his grandmother. And I mean, you can read the story. Now I've hooked you in, a little teaser there. But we get a hint of what's going on in Asa's life or in, in Asa's heart when we get into chapter 16. And in chapter 16, there's uh, King Basha of Israel up in the north. Now he's coming down, coming south to Judah, and he's attacking them. And listen what it says here. This is uh, 16 verse 2. Verse 2 says this. Asa then took the silver and gold out of the treasuries of the Lord's temple and of his own palace and sent it to Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, who was ruling in Damascus. Let there be a treaty between me and you, he said, as there was between my father and your father. See, I'm sending you silver and gold. Now break your treaty with Basha, king of Israel, so he will withdraw from me. So we're getting a hint of something that's going on in Asa's heart because he didn't rely on God. Right? In fact, he made a treaty with, with one of Israel's or one of their enemies and the thing that's interesting about this and we'll see it in a little bit here they do win the war you know Ben-Hadad does what he said he would do and, and Basha the king retreats and and everybody's happy but we're going to see in a second that everybody's happy except God right and here's uh, what I think is going on in Asa's heart I think he his heart has been has been poisoned by success Okay, and here's, here's what I mean. You know, uh, part of being born on planet Earth is every one of us, we're being born into a broken world, 
right? Genesis 3. Sin enters in. Sin poisons God's creation. So if you're, you know, being born on planet Earth, you are born with a sinful nature. There's something in your flesh that right from the word go is resistant to and rebellious to the things of God. Right? And, and, you know, again, some deep theology. We all have in us a little Frank Sinatra. Right? We all have in us something that says, I'm going to do it my way. Right? That's, that's in us. That's our flesh. And success has the potential of feeding that flesh. Success has the potential of, of feeding our pride. Now, I'm not saying, and hear me, I am not saying, if you're here today and you're successful, and what I mean is, you know, in our culture, that means you're wealthy. You've saved well. You've inherited well. You've worked hard, right? I'm not saying that that's wrong or somehow God's displeased with that. What I am saying about success is it's dangerous for us because of that nature inside of us. We love success. We want to be around successful people. We want to be seen as successful. Our Facebook posts, right? The way we dress, the cars we drive, the where we live. You know, I think this obsession with success really drives a lot of our economy. It's this, we, we, we live in a culture, and here's, here's where it's dangerous. When you live in a culture where success is an idol, it can start to seep into our hearts, and as Christians, it can start to seep into our beliefs to where it's easy to start believing a lie that the plans of God for your life and my, God, and my life are to jump from successful mountaintop to successful mountaintop. Does that make sense? Right? We, it's, you can start believing the lie that the true sign of God's blessings on, some, on someone's life is that they're successful. Success equals God's blessing. Right? And here's uh, why that's dangerous. Because the kind of success that drives our culture, it's not the success that we see modeled in the life of Jesus. Right? It's, you know, the picture of success we see in the life of Jesus is very different from what our culture says is successful. So uh, if Jesus came today and did what he did back in the first century, if he came today, I, and I'll just speak for myself, but I know I'm not alone, I know that I would be totally jumping on uh, the same bandwagon that the disciples and his followers did. And what I mean is, this Jesus guy is awesome. We are going to ride this guy to the top. I mean, successful. The guy walks on water. I mean, how can you be more successful than that? Right? I would have been right there, excited, Palm Sundays in a couple weeks. I would have been standing on the side of the road going, yeah, we're going to make this guy king. This is going to be awesome. Right? But I also would have jumped on the other bandwagon when Jesus did a 90-degree turn, and suddenly he's on a cross, and all his disciples are walking away, and they're, you know, all these followers are like, totally disappointed and confused and like I don't believe it he didn't flex that, that muscle of his he didn't flex his power what a waste this guy could have I mean he could have gone so far I, I would be right there with him and and a good question to ask is what does it take or what does it look like to be successful in God's eyes Philippians 2 verse 6 it says this is said about Jesus who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, 
being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What does it take? What does it look like to be successful in God's eyes? Is to be obedient. Jesus obeyed his Father. And in this whole thing of relying on God, what does it look like to rely on God? It's to be obedient. It's to come before your maker and say, you made me. What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do in, in this situation? Or what, what would please you? Right? Because you want to be successful in God's eyes. You do what he says. Listen to this quote. Our greatest fear should not be of failure, but of succeeding at things in life that don't really matter. See, the fact that Asa didn't rely on God, it got him into trouble. And as the story continues, and as he's retor- returning from the second battle, and, and again, <coughs> excuse me, he's been, you know, they were victorious. And, and what we see then is uh, God stirs up the heart of another prophet to come out to meet Asa and the army. And, and this is what he says. At that time, Hananiah, <coughs> the seer, the prophet, came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you relied on the king of Aram and not on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Aram has escaped from your hand. Were not the Cushites and Libyans a mighty army with great numbers of chariots and horsemen? Yet when you relied on the Lord, he he delivered them into your hand. And it's like he's saying, come on, Asa. You went up against a massive army. And I was faithful. I was there. What were you thinking now? You didn't think I'd be faithful in this other battle? Then he continues, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. You have done a foolish thing, and from now on you will be at war. See, I'm convinced that success in his life, left unchecked, stirred his pride. And what we see in Asa's life is, is a warning, and this is our third point. There's this warning, and it's this. It's possible to start well and end poorly. Right? It's possible to start well in this life and end poorly. You know, because think about it. When are we most vulnerable? And I'm sure you could argue this either way, but I think, I think there's, a, there's a unique vulnerability when we're successful because when things are going well in our lives, we're less prone to seek God. We're less prone to stop when we're at an intersection or there's a struggle, we're less prone to say, what do you think? What would you, know, what would you do? And how do we know that uh, pride had taken hold of Asa's heart? Well, listen to his response to what this prophet said. This is verse 10. Verse 10, it says, Asa was angry with the seer because of this, because of what he said. He was so enraged that he put him in prison. At the same time, Asa brutally oppressed some of the people. The events of Asa's reign from beginning to end are written in the book of the, kings of, uh, of the kings of Judah and Israel. In the 39th year of his reign, Asa was afflicted with a disease in his feet. Though his disease was severe, even in his illness, he did not seek help from the Lord, but only from the physicians. 
It's like, what's happened, Asa? What's going on? I mean, this king who seems so set on pleasing God, all this reform, it's like, what has hardened this guy's heart? That even in sickness and in pain, he refused to, uh, to seek after the Lord. And here's one of the things, pride, one of the indicators that pride is starting to get a hold in our hearts is that we're no longer teachable. We're no longer correctable. And, you know, if that's, if that's the case, that's a person that's in a, in a, in, on thin ice or in a dangerous place. And let me say this. If, if you look back on the last year of your life and, and you know, you look back on it and, and over that year time, there's, there hasn't been once where you've been convicted of an attitude or a behavior in your life. Let me challenge you to start a dialogue with God. I'm not saying, you know, you're bad or you're wrong, but I, I would, cause, because I know the way that God is constantly working in our lives. If you haven't had conviction in your life for a long season, I would just go to God and say, hey, what, am I okay in here? Is this getting hard towards you? I mean, because one of the things that pride does is it numbs us. It numbs us to, to, the, to the work of God, to the voice of God. Because I've known people over the years, really good people. I've, I've friends that are pastors and just seem to be incredibly gifted and used of God. And what I saw in their lives is they started to make not good choices in really little things. And I'm thinking of one guy right now where, where he, was, he, was, you know, he was on a path, not a good path. And people, he, God brought three people with prophetic dreams and warnings into his life, and he, was, he would just laugh it off. No, you don't, that's, that's, no, no, that's got nothing to do with me. And where like a month later, he blows his marriage up, blows his family up. And here's the thing, this whole thing of relying on God, it's not just, it's not just when we're in over our heads. What we've been invited into is a lifetime, a lifetime of, of reliance, of dependence of God, a constant Reliance. Our relationship with God isn't just when we need Him. It's constant. We have His constant presence in our life. What He offers to us as His followers is constant guidance, constant, you know, care and wisdom, etc., in our lives. And, you know, it's interesting to me that when, when you look at the two battles in Asa's life, the first one, it was obvious. It was obvious that he needed God's help. Like, <laughs> what are we going to do? They're massive. We're not. God, we need you. But in the second battle, it wasn't so obvious. And what Asa didn't clue into was that he needed God just as much in the second battle as he did in the first. He may not have needed uh, military strength. What he needed in the second was wisdom. He needed counsel on how to deal with the situation that was, uh, was coming his way. From our perspective, we think we're able to discern the challenges where we need God's input and the challenges where we don't. And that kind of thinking puts us on thin ice. It's like a, a, a soldier who's forgotten that they're in a war just because bombs aren't going off. Right? And I think for many of us, we've forgotten that we're in a daily battle. First uh, Peter 5 verse 8 says this, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, 
because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Now, aren't you glad that it doesn't say, hey, there's a prowling uh, lion out there, so be anxious and afraid. I mean, that's awesome. That, that gives me confidence. Like, we're on the winning team here. But it does say, be alert and of sober mind. Be aware of what's going on. So now, practically, how do we then, if we're in this daily battle, if we have this weakness inside, this, this, this flesh, this, you know, this, this, this rebellious nature inside of us, how do we protect ourselves from the dangers of success and pride? Well, God's given us three things. <coughs> Ooh, excuse me. He's given us three activities that, that we can use uh, to protect ourselves. And number one is this. Number one is worship. Worship. Right? We're commanded in the Bible, in 1 Thessalonians, it says to, to rejoice always. So whether it's when we gather here together on the weekend or if you're in a small group or when you're just driving down the road, one of the beauties of worship and, how, and, and one of the ways it protects our hearts is that the, really the heart of worship is to express thanks to God. And, and how that protects us is when success or you know, whatever comes our way the, our flesh, our little Sinatra wants to look at what's come our way and we want to go, look what I've done. But the beauty of worship is we take that, we turn it and we go, look what he's done. We give glory to him. You're looking at your health. You're looking at whatever. You know what I mean? You're looking at the blessings in your life. And instead of look what I accomplished, it's oh God, look what you accomplished. So worship is the first one. Second one is prayer. Again, these are basic and powerful. Prayer, you know, to me, one of the things I love about prayer is that it's an ongoing conversation. I have yet to have ended a prayer with, well, see you, Lord. Right? It's an ongoing, look at that, that's deep. I'm going, it's, it's an ongoing conversation. And one of the beauties of prayer, where we're talking to our maker, one of the beauties of prayer is that we, uh, we get to express our need. We get to express when, you know, just like Asa did. Oh, you look at the thing coming your way. You get a phone call. Your tire blows. Like, whatever it is. And just like Asa, there's the initial human response. Oh, and then to turn to God right away in prayer. God, you're the greatest. We're powerless, but we rely on you. Right? I need you. Prayer is this constant opportunity to say, I need you. Lord, I need you. Every hour, I need you. It's a gift to us, and it's a powerful tool. And then finally, the third tool, we have worship, prayer, and then giving. And with giving, what I'm focusing on is money. Because if you want to talk about idols, you want to talk about what do we rely on, we rely on money in this culture. And rightfully so at some level, because it's so much part of our system. But, but what I mean in this, that the giving of money one of the beauties of giving, and whether that's a tie to the church or you, you give to charity or you support missionaries or you, you know, you're just those type of people, you hear about a need and you anonymously, whoop, you go, you know what I mean? And, and, and give financially. One of the beauties of giving financially <clears throat> is that it's an opportunity for us to put our money where our mouths are. And here's what I mean. We pray, oh God, I trust you. We sing, oh God, we trust you. One of the beauties about giving is, and now I put it into practice. 
that I do trust you. So worship, prayer, and giving. Why don't you stand up? So here's how we're going to end off. Like I said uh, during the message, we want to give just people time to respond. And again, I know that there are people here today that you're you're knotted up inside. There's anxiety. It's just got you in your gut. And we want to give you an opportunity. In a second, I'm just going to invite you forward to get to pray, just to come before the Lord and just to uh, confess to him, just be honest to him. He's here today, he's saying, where does it hurt? Just come tell him where it hurts. And then we'll, you know, and, and, and have someone come alongside and pray for you. So that's one group. The other one is this. When I talked about success and worldly success versus what's successful to God, I had different people came to my mind. I just saw, I saw a guy sitting in a, like a conference room of some big company and had a decision to make. Whether it was a, you know, a personal career decision or a corp, you know, something about his business, I just felt like God was sitting there with that guy saying, now let me tell you what would be the right decision here. Let me tell you what would be pleasing to me, what would be successful in my eyes. If that's you today, uh, Um, And I don't just mean if it's a man because that was in the picture, but whoever, if you're at a place in your career or for your company, if you have a decision, we want to pray for you. But then I also saw a picture of of parents who were in this, this whole thing of success were just stressed because they were so anxious for their child to be successful. And I feel like God wants you to make an exchange. I want you to just come to him and go, God, you made them. You made my son. You made my daughter. What do you want them to be as opposed to what I think they need to be? And then right along with that, if you know, young people here today, if you're you know, late teens, early 20s, <clears throat> and you're looking down the road of your life going, I don't know what to do. Well, we would love to pray for you, that God would speak to you, that God would stir in you. Well, this is what I made you for, and that he would give you some direction. And then uh, we always love to pray for people who are sick. If you're here today and you have pain in your body, we would love to pray for you. And I, as I was praying uh, about today, here's the thought I had was specifically people who have dental issues. So who here today has either pain in their teeth or in your jaw? Who, who would that be? Just put your hand up. Okay, I count like 300. Okay, that's awesome. It's powerful. But for those of you that raised your hands and even for those of you that didn't, uh, JT's gonna lead us in a song and all those things I said, just come to the Lord. And uh, come on forward, we're going to pray for you, and then uh, I'll, I'll end it off. But let's just make sure as people come forward that there's someone praying for them. So come on up, we'll pray for you. And again, let's make sure everyone has someone praying for them, guys for guys, gals for gals, and just, just briefly ask them, what are you coming forward for? And then get right to prayer. Just invite the Holy Spirit. Because He's drawing them today. So let's make sure everyone's getting prayed for.
So, Lord, we thank you for your presence and just <clears throat> all the ways you're coming close, all the ways that you're just being personal with people. And, and I pray, Lord, just this <clears throat> lifelong journey with you that we would, we would be a people who would be more like the early Asa, who just have a passion for you and who are quick to turn to you in the little things and in the big things. Lord, I pray that you would guard our hearts. Lord, living in a, in a culture where, where there's just a lot of options. Lord, I pray that you would daily just remind us of what's successful in your eyes. Just keep bringing us back to Jesus. Keep bringing us back to the way he lived and what he did. And Lord, so we just commit ourselves to you. We thank you for your presence. We thank you that you are a God who is alive and who loves to come close. So just watch over us this week. You know that there's a, we've got an enemy, Lord. Keep us alert this week. I pray that we'd be wise with our decisions. In Jesus' name, amen.